right, guys, welcome back to our study in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 17, and we were dealing with the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That is, the atmosphere is Jesus is preparing to be arrested, crucified, and then ultimately resurrected from the dead and returned back to the Father. So he is going to leave his disciples. So before he leaves, he prays for his disciples. He intercedes for them or on their behalf to the Father, which is the reason why we call it a high priestly prayer of Jesus. But nevertheless, the main, the main element of chapter 17 was dealing with glory. That is the glory of the Father in the obedience of the Son and voluntarily sacrificing his life. The glory of the Son in that Jesus sought to return back to his original position of glory in heaven with the Father, and ultimately the glory of the believer as Jesus prays for the believer to one day to be with him so that they themselves may beheld, may behold his glory. And ultimately, as he was leaving them, he simply wanted them to understand the necessity that they need to love one another as well as expect persecutions from an unbelieving world. The world that rejected and hated him will be the same world that will reject and hate his disciples. But nevertheless, they should have this overwhelming love for one another, thereby evidencing, proving themselves to truly be the disciples of Jesus. All right, now with that, we get ready to go into chapter 18. And chapter 18, guys, is kind of very narrative. It's pretty long. It's 40 verses. But I believe we'll be able to finish it in one single video without getting too long because it is basically the, uh, the, the story or the events of Jesus' actual arrest and his mock trial. We talk about all of that as we move through the text. There are some theological points that we would make, but it is nothing of such a great depth that would demand the video take a long time or that we separate chapter 18 into more than one video. All right. So with all of that, let's continue on as we move now. We prepare to move from the events of the final Passover meal moving into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be ultimately arrested. All right, 18 and one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So let's look at it. So now we are preparing for the arrest of Jesus as he moves from the other side of the Kidron. The Kidron Valley basically is that which was on the south, I think it was the southwestern side of Jerusalem that separated the Mount of Olives. But anyway, so he's moving into this particular place. This was a ravine that, and I don't want to get into all of the details, but during the wintertime, this was basically what was called a wadi, which is during the wintertime. The wintertime is the rainy season for Israel, and it would rapidly fill up with water, okay? So, but we're not particularly at this time right now. But anyway, so this is the area where Jesus was entering into, which we understand to be the Garden of Gethsemane. And also what Jesus often met there with his disciples. And this is how Judas knew where Jesus would be. Judas knew the exact location of Jesus. So when Judas went to, remember, it all started at the, uh, at the Passover meal, when Jesus gave Judas the bread and said to him, what you have to do, do it quickly, do it now. All right. And that set in motion the time when Jesus would be soon arrested, which is this time. All right. So Judas was aware after leaving the meal and going to get the soldiers from uh, uh, there would be a Roman cohort of soldiers. It's about a band of about 600 soldiers usually. Now, whether there were 600 soldiers present that time or not, 
it's not clear, but nevertheless, it was a large group of men, soldiers, soldiers from the Roman cohort, as well as soldiers from uh, the Levitical priests, from the, from the, not so much Levitical priests, but from the priesthood, that is from the Sanhedrin, all right? So Judas came with these bands of men to arrest Jesus. Now, John does not get into a lot of the details involved in this, and John gives a certain picture of Jesus. We're going to talk about that picture as well, all right? But John is not concerned about giving all of the details, like Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss and things of that nature. But nevertheless, John is giving a whole picture of the arrest of Jesus, trying to portray Jesus or portraying Jesus in a certain light. We'll talk about all of that as we move through the text, and I'll tell you why I said all of that. But nevertheless, so Judas knew where he was, and so Judas took this band of men out to literally arrest Jesus, and they came there with all types of lanterns, torches, and weapons. So what you have to see is, so turn on the theater of your mind. They want to arrest Jesus without incident. So therefore, what do they do? They send an overwhelming force to get Jesus. Remember, the whole idea is, one of the reasons is, they didn't want to actually arrest Jesus or have him killed during the Passover season because what? It might start a riot amongst the people. And even now, they want to do what? They want to arrest Jesus without incident. So what do they do? They bring an overwhelming force so we can just simply come and get him Take and get him out of, if we have to use force, we'll use force, but we'll get him on out. We'll get him and get him on out of there. And that's the idea. And again, we remember that what? The Passover is always celebrated at night. John even said it was night. And so what do we see? They have the lanterns and the torches. So they're ready to come locate and even find Jesus. All right. Verse number four. So Jesus knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also who was betraying him was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. All right, so let me talk about, let's go ahead and read the rest of it. Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest slave, cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the father has given me, shall I not drink it? All right. So now notice how John lets us see Jesus. And, and this is the clear picture of how Jesus never rejected the cross, never tried to escape the cross, and that Jesus was in full control of these events. And that's what you need to see concerning John. That is the picture that John is trying to show us about Jesus. Jesus was not simply falling into the hands of these people or falling into the hands of these events as they were unfolding. John is letting us know, number one, God the Father is in control of all things even the timing of Jesus' death. Remember what I just said. They did not want to kill Jesus at the Passover, but nevertheless, that is the season that Jesus would die. Why? Again, if you've been following me in the Gospel of John, that was the will of the Father for Jesus to die in this manner, to be crucified, to be hung on a tree, and to die at this particular time. So all of this shows the sovereign will of God as well as Jesus being in full control. And that's what we're about to see here. Notice the full control being evidenced in that he knew everything. That's verse number four. Knowing all things that were coming upon him. 
Jesus was not surprised. He was not taken aloof and said, oh my goodness, I had no idea that the truth would be coming upon me. He knew everything that was about to happen, including the things that he would suffer, and he never denied, he never ran away from the cross. And again, let me bring your, bring your attention to once what I said earlier. John is not trying to tell us all of the events that took place in the garden. Note, note how John did not include the prayer of Jesus, the three hours of prayer of Jesus. John did not include that whatsoever. He is giving a portrait that he wants us to see concerning Jesus. So number one, Jesus is in full control. He has knowledge of all things. Number two, now imagine this great band of soldiers coming out with swords and lanterns and things of that nature. That would be a frightening scenario within itself to come out at night with all of these people. And remember, notice what it said. Judas was standing with them. I like the way the Bible said that. But that would be a frightening event within and of itself. Notice what Jesus did. Jesus walked towards them. Jesus faced them and asked them, whom are you seeking? In other words, we would just simply say, who are you looking for? And they responded, Jesus the Nazarene. This is what they identified. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And when they said that, notice again, Jesus did not bow down. He did not kowtow to them. He did not speak in a fearful manner whatsoever. What did Jesus say? I am he. Now in the Greek, this is another one of those ego amen. Is this a theological ego amen? If you've been following me, the ego amen comes from what? Again, Exodus 3 and 14, Isaiah chapters 40 through 45, the self-identification of God. I am the one true God. I don't think that this is a strong ego amen. But I do believe that this is an inferred ego amen. That is Jesus's self-identification as God. But clearly, Jesus is simply identifying himself as the one whom they are seeking, the one that they are looking for. I'm the one you're looking for, all right? But nevertheless, we have something very unique that is only found in the Gospel of John. Again, it goes to show you the portrait that John is trying to give concerning Jesus. One who is in full control of the events. What happens when Jesus says to them, I am the one that you are seeking. Notice in hearing these words, they were not, they fell to the ground. This is clearly a provocative uh, uh, demonstration of power of Jesus. Now, let me just slow it down here. That it was always known throughout scripture that Jesus had power, but the only time you see the power of Jesus being demonstrated is in the power to do good. When Jesus healed, he raised from the dead, and he did all of those types of signs and uh, uh, opening the eyes of the blind and feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. Jesus used his power to do good. So, it, But it was always known that Jesus had power, but never in the scripture. This is the only place in the scripture when Jesus used his power in an offensive way. The reason that it, it is clear, the then the scripture tells us really why Jesus used his power in an offensive way. Notice what happened. When Jesus identified himself, Jesus, he, by the power of his word, knocked them to the ground. Why? To let them know you can only do what I allow you to do. I am allowing you to arrest. See, that's the point. Okay, I'm not going to get excited, but that's the portrait that John is trying to give us. You soldiers are not in control. You Judas are not in control. Even you Satan, you are not in control. Even in my arrest, even when they crucify me, even at the point and time of my death, I, the Lord Jesus, am in full control of all of these events. You can do nothing unless I permit it. What did Jesus even say about his own life? 
No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own will. I have power to lay my life down. I have power and authority to take it up again. Jesus was always in full control, even at the moment of his arrest. Okay, so I'm going to calm down because I got excited and I didn't intend to. But this offensive move of Jesus and knocking them to the ground was done to let them see. You can only arrest me if I allow it. And most importantly, for the context here, he says, whom do you see? And what did they reply once again? It's Jesus. You can imagine them getting up off the ground. Jesus, we're looking for Jesus and all of the swords and stuff like that they had. They found out it would do no good whatsoever. But again, they answered and said, what? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And that's when Jesus said, so notice how it works in perfectly. If you are seeking me, then I am saying to you, don't bother these 11 disciples of mine. Let them go. So what do you understand? Jesus knocked them down. He knocked them off their feet so that they would not bother the disciples to let them know this is a warning. It's a shot across the bow. Do not even dream, even if you thought you were going to take the whole band of us, bring out all of these soldiers, and you're going to arrest me and my disciples. Wrong. You will arrest me, and you'll only arrest me because I'm going to allow you to arrest. But my disciples, don't put your hands on them. And notice what the scripture says. And this he did. This was done. Why? So that the word of Jesus, remember John chapter 17, those that you have given to me, none of them were lost except whom? The son of perdition, that is Judas, so that the word, the scriptures might be fulfilled. So Jesus fulfilled his own words in knocking them off their feet. Why? To protect his disciples. Why? Because it is written that none of his disciples would be hurt when they come out to get the Messiah. And this is what was going on. But then again, still the scene is uh, it's a high scene. It's hot. And you can imagine everybody, namely Peter here, being filled with adrenaline at the sight of all of those soldiers with the swords and then Jesus knocking them off the feet and Peter gets ready for battle. And th this is the moment of Peter's adrenaline rush when he's ready for battle because we're going to find out once the adrenaline wears off. Peter will change. But nevertheless, this is a moment of high adrenaline. So what does Peter do? Peter takes his sword and you can tell that Peter was a fisherman. Why? Peter didn't even strike well. Clearly, Peter was aiming at the man's head and totally missed. He was going to be a bad boy right there. But he missed it and chopped off the man's ear. That man was a servant of the high priest by the name of Malchus. And we understand later on through other parts of the gospel, what happened? Jesus, here, he picked up the man's ear and put it back on his head, still showing the mercy of Jesus and that it is the will of God that this should be done. But nevertheless, concerning Peter, full of adrenaline, hot at the moment, Peter tried to kill that man in trying to come out to get Jesus. He was ready to die at that moment. But nevertheless, Jesus rebuked Peter and simply said, what? Again, a demonstration of Jesus' total control of the events, total control of the events and his willingness to go through the sufferings that he is about to go through, ultimately his death. He's willing to do all of this thing. He was never afraid. What does he say in his rebuke to Peter? Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me to drink? In other words, this cup is this event, this arrest. And we understand uh, false mock trial <laughs> and crucifixion and all of that. All of this is the will of the father. And Jesus has always been telling them he has come to do what? The complete and total will of the father, even if that means he must suffer and die, to the which Jesus always knew. That was his purpose in coming into the world in the first place, to provide salvation by offering his life 
for sins. But nevertheless, in this rebuke of Peter, what do we have? Jesus, the picture again of John portraying Jesus in total control of the events. All right. So now let's move on from the arrest. As we keep going through, we move from the arrest with this band of soldiers now taking Jesus to the homes of both the high priest Annas and Caiaphas. We'll explain all of that as we move through the text. Verse number 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following, nah, let's stop there. So now we get to their arrest. As they have arrested Jesus, you got the band of men that arrested Jesus. The first place they lead Jesus, and I think John, John's gospel is the only one that tells us about Jesus being led to the house of Annas first. And this was done in a sense of, uh, I, I want to use the word favor to Annas because Annas was not the high priest. His son-in-law Caiaphas was the high priest, but nevertheless, Annas was greatly respected by the people of the Jews during this time. So, so in doing Annas per se, respect, showing respect to Annas, they brought Jesus to Anna's house. And there we have a, some sort of a mock trial that Jesus had before Annas. Now, this was not the official trial that Jesus has before the Sanhedrin. As a matter of fact, John omits, John omits the official trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Because remember, once Jesus goes to the household of Caiaphas, he goes first to Annas's house where we are here. Then from Anna's house, he goes to Caiaphas' place before the high priest where we have a gathering, a, a late night gathering of the Sanhedrin where ultimately Jesus would be found guilty of blasphemy and sentenced to death, all right? But John leaves out all of this and he just simply concentrates on the household of Annas that Jesus is brought to and then later on the household of Caiaphas to the which uh, John doesn't really speak about at all. But anyway, so it says he's led to the household of Annas. Again, one who is very respected of the Jewish people. And this is the reason why he was led to Annas's house. And it was Annas who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And then he begins to identify for us once again who Caiaphas was. And it was this Caiaphas who was high priest at this time. He was the high priest Caiaphas. The one who said, well, I think it was in John chapter 11, that it was expedient that Jesus should die on behalf of the Jewish people. And it said, remember, it's talked about Caiaphas prophesying during that time. If you don't remember, go back and look at the video that we did in John chapter 11. I believe that's where it's found. Where Caiaphas spoke, he prophesied. John took this as a prophecy of how Jesus would be sacrificed for the Jewish people people. But what what Caiaphas was actually doing was, he was simply saying, if someone should die, let it not be the Jewish people who should suffer and die, but let Jesus alone suffer and die. So Caiaphas meant it from a political perspective. John took this as a prophetic theological perspective. That is how Isaiah 53, one, he was wounded for our transgression, the Jewish people. He was bruised for our iniquities, the Jewish people's iniquities. And we know that this pertains to all as a whole, but in particular, the Jewish people. But nevertheless, then this is where it identifies this Caiaphas that makes the statement. All right. Now let's do 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, 
you're not also one of this man's disciple, are you? And he said, I am not. Okay, so let's just stop there at the first denial. So now what happens? Now we're at the high priest's home. And as we get into the high priest's home, it's believed that it was probably John, the disciple John, who was known by the high priest. Peter could not get into the courtyards of the high priest, but since John was known of the high priest, John made it possible for Peter to come inside to the courtyard to basically near, near to where the trial was taking place. And this was earshot. You can hear of what was basically going on at the trial. All right. So John makes it possible for Peter to be brought inside that particular place. It is not said, John, we believe that it is John, for Peter to be brought inside the courtyard. And now when Peter is brought into the courtyard, he is met by a servant girl who identifies him and says, weren't you one of his disciples? And here we have the first denial of Peter. And this takes us all the way back when Jesus was warning Peter as well as the other disciples that this night, all of them would be offended because of him. Why? Because it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And we remember the statement of bravado <clears throat> that Peter gave to Jesus. Though all men may deny you, I will never deny you. I'm ready to go with you even to the dead. And that's the idea of what Peter was trying to say. Excuse me, God. But nevertheless, what do we see? The adrenaline, remember earlier, Peter took that sword uh, and tried to cut off, cut the man's head off, Malchus' head off and missed it and cut off his ear. But the adrenaline was moving for Peter at that time. But now what has happened now with the arrest of Jesus, the adrenaline is worn off and Peter has come down to his senses. And what? Now Peter does not want to be associated with Jesus because of fear of what is going on. So what happens? A young girl makes Peter bow down. And in a sense, that is to deny Jesus. Let's continue. Verse number 18. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay, so now we're continuing on with the events and what? Peter is now in the courtyard of the high priest, that is Annas, because we see it being interchangeably. It being from Annas to Caiaphas. The term high priest is used interchangeably. Annas was previously the high priest, but not right now. Caiaphas is, even though Annas is given the respect of the term high priest, okay? That reference. But anyway, so Peter's standing there by the fire. He's warming himself out there. And all of a sudden, he hears those in the household of Annas questioning Jesus about his teachings and his disciples. And so Jesus responds and said, and number one, that is against Jewish law. Now, I'm not going to rehash all of how they actually broke their own laws, the Sanhedrin, broke their own laws in this mock trial, mockery of a trial that they gave Jesus. But if you want to hear me talk more about that, Go look at the study that I did in Matthew chapter 26, where I talk more so about how the Sanhedrin broke their own laws in trying to convict Jesus of the crime of blasphemy. But anyway, 
So they asked Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings. And Jesus simply responded and said, why are you bringing me here now asking me about this? When I taught, I taught publicly in the synagogues. I taught publicly in the temple. Everybody heard me. There was nothing that I said that was secret. Why are you trying to ask as if there's something secretive about my teachings? Ask the people that I taught openly. And when Jesus gave that direct response to the high priest, that is to Annas, all of a sudden, one of the guards of the high priest came and smote Jesus across the face. And Jesus simply said to him, why are you striking me? If I said something that was wrong or out of order, why do you strike me? But if I've spoken the truth, you had no reason to strike me because the guy said, are you going to answer the high priest in such a manner of disrespect? And that's basically what he was trying to say. And Jesus simply retorted, no, I did not disrespect him or say anything improper. And therefore you striking me was improper. And this was also too a breaking of their own laws. You were never to strike or mistreat a prisoner. And we see already that they are mistreating Jesus. All right. And so after that, it just simply says Jesus was now led from the house of Annas to the house of Caiaphas. All right. And now as we continue to move through John's accounting of the gospel, remember what I told you concerning Jesus's. Now, this is the official of even though it is illegal, official gathering of the Sanhedrin at the household of Caiaphas to condemn Jesus of blasphemy and ultimately sentence Jesus to death. John does not cover this event whatsoever. He simply moves us until bringing Jesus before Kyle, I'm sorry, before Pilate. And so that's where we're going to go now. Verse number 25. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Okay, so before we get into the issue of bringing Jesus before Pilate, we now solidify Jesus's prophetic word of Peter's denial. So what happened? As Peter was warm, we go back to the issue of warming himself back by the fire. And this John is just simply trying to bring these events all together to show three denials. That's all John is trying to do. Show three denials. Peter's warming himself by the fire. One of the soldiers come and asks Peter, are you not one of his disciples? One of the people, are you not one of his disciples? What happens? Peter denies it. And then again, one of the soldiers who was out to arrest Jesus said, wait a minute. <laughs> And this man was one of the relatives of Peter, uh, of the man's ear, of the man who Peter cut off his ear. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't get that out. But so this man knew about Peter cutting the man's ear off, his cousin's ear off. He said, wait a minute, you cut off my cousin's ear. Yeah, you out there with him. And so what did Peter do? Peter denied once again. And John just simply said, what? And the cock crowed, the rooster crowed, and this fulfilled the word of Jesus. Before a rooster would crow, you would three times deny that you even know me. And John doesn't get into any of the rest of the details about how Peter boohooed about what he had just done. He just simply moves the narrative on, but simply says, and the word of Jesus was correct. Peter denied him just like he said. And it is because of this that John brings forth here that at the end of his gospel, John shows the restoration of Peter, but we're not going to deal with that right now. All right. Now let's continue on with the arrest of Jesus and bringing Jesus before the Roman governor Pilate. And it is important that you understand now Jesus is being brought into a Gentile arena because the mindset of the Jews was to put Jesus to death. They wanted the Romans to have Jesus executed. And we know that the Romans execution of execution was by means of crucifixion. 
extremely painful and extremely brutal. And this is what they had in mind for Jesus. Okay. And so now, but, but what is important to remember is, this is what's important. So I might as well tell you, when Jesus was brought before the Jews, they condemned Jesus of blasphemy, which is a breaking of the Mosaic law, a breaking of what? The law of Moses. All right. However, that the, they wanted, and what is the penalty for the, the, the uh, penalty for blasphemy? For Jesus called himself God for blasphemy. The penalty for blasphemy is death. And so, but they wanted, they wanted the Romans to put Jesus to death. And, and the Romans had outlawed capital punishment, except by Roman judgment. That is, even though the Jews had condemned Jesus to death because of blasphemy, it would be illegal for them to put Jesus to death because Rome, who had control over Judea at that time, because Rome had outlawed the death penalty outside of Rome itself. Only Rome can condemn a person to death. Okay. And then here's what you got to see too. The Romans, if you're going, if the Romans are going to condemn Jesus to death, Jesus has to break Roman law. And this is the hurdle that they had to overcome. That is the Jewish uh, priests, the, Sadduce the Sadducees and the Pharisees had to overcome that hurdle because Rome was saying what? If we are going to condemn Jesus to death, Jesus has to break Roman law. And this is the issue that was before Pilate. And this is the problem that Pilate had. Jesus did not break any Roman law. Jesus was breaking the laws for the Jews. And that's why Pilate would say to them in another gospel, you go judge your own self. I'm not going to be a judge over such matters. I'm going to judge Roman law and Roman law alone. All right. With that idea, now let's move into Jesus going before Pilate. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas. Remember, they skipped the whole thing about Caiaphas and, and the Sanhedrin. From Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. See, it said, to fulfill the word of, which, of, of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Now, let's look at this. We got to break this down a little bit, but I've already explained much of it anyway. Okay. But let's look at it anyway. They led Jesus from Caiaphas. That is where Caiaphas, who was the high priest before the Sanhedrin, where Jesus was officially condemned of blasphemy and uh, um, said that Jesus deserved the death penalty. All of that was skipped. But from Caiaphas, from Caiaphas to the Praetorium to Pilate. Now, the Praetorium was the residence of the governor, of, of the Roman governor in Judea at the time. What you have to understand is this. This was the season of the Passover. During the Passover, remember, Passover was one of the three celebrations of the Jews that all Jewish males were commanded to appear in Jerusalem at that time. So there would be a lot of people in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover. And, <clears throat> and remember, the whole idea of the Passover is from Exodus chapter 12, deliverance from Egypt. So lest the Jewish people get these nationalistic feelings and want deliverance from Rome, what the Roman governor would do, he would come to his house, his palace, his palace in Judea at the time, so that he would be near at hand just in case any revolt should take place. 
And so this is why we see Pilate being found here at this particular time. And also it is clear, according to the text, that they have already alerted Pilate that they have some sort of emergency case that Pilate needs to overhear. Why? Notice what it said. It was early, which was probably like probably the fourth watch of the night. Very early in the morning. Too early for Pilate to be on the judgment seat, but nevertheless, he is still found in the praetorium on the judgment seat, okay? So they have already alerted Pilate of the events that is about to take place. And what happened? But notice, as they were making their case against Jesus before Pilate, because this is what you have to do, they did not go to the praetorium. The praetorium was the Gentile residence of Pilate because they themselves did not want to become ceremonially unclean. They did not want to go into the house of a Gentile and become ceremonially unclean and unable to eat the Passover. So what happened? Pilate had to come out to them and begin to question them about what in the world is going on? Why are you getting me up this early in the morning about this particular man? So that's the idea. They wanted to eat the Passover, but they wouldn't go into Pilate's house. So Pilate had to come to them. And when Pilate came to them, he just simply asked them, why are you bringing me this man this time of the morning? Uh, and what in the world is the charge against this man? And notice their response to this man, their response to Pilate. If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. That is not an accusation. And the reason is because they had no accusation against Roman law. Against what? Roman law against Jesus so that Pilate would have Jesus put to death. So they just simply said, if it wasn't an evil dude, we wouldn't have brought him to you in the first place, which was ridiculous. So what does Pilate do? Pilate is forced then to confront Jesus to find out what in the world is going on that these men are so desperate to have me put you to death. And this is the occasion that's going on. They had no reason, the Jewish people, under Roman law to put Jesus to death, even though they wanted Rome to put him to death. Again, why? Because capital punishment could only be administered by a Roman pro provincial official. All right, so here's where we are. So Pilate said, when they said that Jesus was an evildoer, notice Pilate respond, take him yourselves and judge him according to your own law. In other words, Pilate knew, he said, okay, this stuff that you're trying to tell me about, this is not a breaking of the Roman law. You said he's breaking your law, so therefore you deal with him. But what? We see the mind and the heart of the Jewish leaders. They said, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. And they said, in saying this to Pilate, we're not putting anyone to death. This was signifying the death that Jesus spoke about how he should die. Two things. Number one, it is clear that they wanted Jesus to be put to death by the Romans. And remember, the Roman death of crucifixion was a painful and excruciating death, number one. And number two, it fulfilled the word of Jesus, which takes us back to all the way to John chapter 12. Remember when the Gentiles, the Greeks, wanted to see Jesus. And that's when Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, signifying the manner in which he should die. The lifting up is the manner of being put on a cross. And this is what it said. The Jewish people said, it's not permissible for us to, permit, to put a man to death. And this fulfilled the word of Jesus. It signified their intent. They wanted Jesus to be killed by the Romans by virtue of crucifixion. And in this, it will fulfill the words of Jesus himself, that he should die in this manner. Okay, now let's continue on with Pilate's questioning of Jesus. Therefore, verse number 33, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. 
What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said, what is the truth? Okay, now that's a lot of text, but it's not difficult. It's still the narrative case. So the picture is still going on in your mind. Pilate has just talked to the Jewish leaders, right? Going out, trying to find out why they're bringing Jesus, why they're trying to condemn Jesus, why they're trying to get Pilate to render a judgment of execution to Jesus. No good reason whatsoever. So Pilate returned back to his own praetorium, because remember, he had to go out to the Jews. They didn't want to get ceremonially unclean. He returns back to where, and he summons Jesus to come to him. And he simply says, all right, what in the world is going on? Why are these people trying to get you killed? Are you the king of the Jews? Okay, you have to understand what's going on there. You see, the only law of Roman, Roman law, that could have Jesus convicted and put to death by Rome is for Jesus to make himself king. Remember, and this is what we see in the other gospels, we have no other king but Caesar. You cannot be king unless this authority has been given to you by Rome. And you cannot displace Caesar, the Roman Caesar, as king. So Rome has to authorize you just like it authorized Herod to be king over the districts that he was over. Rome had to authorize you to be king and you could never displace Caesar, who is the great king over all of these things. You could never displace him as king. So this would be a violation of Roman law. So what is Pilate trying to do? Pilate is searching Jesus to see if Jesus has violated Roman law, and if he has violated Roman law, he could then rightfully have Jesus put to death. So what happened? He brings Jesus, asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus simply responds to him, did, did this come to you of yourself or did somebody tell you about this? So Jesus simply answers his question with a question. <laughs> did, this, did this come in, did, was this your bright idea? Or did, did someone tell you that I was a king? And then we can see the frustration in Pilate. Well, what do you mean? Am I a Jew? I didn't bring you here. Your own people brought you here. Your own Jewish leaders brought you before me. So answer me, are you the king of the Jews or not? So Pilate gets hot with him and says, well, look, look here, mister. It's not me. It's your own folk that's trying to get you killed. Just answer my question. Are you the king of the Jews or not? And so Jesus simply says to him, what? In a sense, yes, I am a king, but what? My kingdom is not of the world, of this world. And in that statement, he diffused and disarmed Pilate as well as the Jews. Remember, what are they seeking? What is Pilate inquiring about? Is he breaking Roman law? Roman law that would have him put to death. In order to do that, he has to be an unauthorized king. He had, Rome didn't make him king or he's displacing Caesar as king in some way. Notice what Jesus says. My kingdom is not of this world, for if it was, my servants would fight for me. But since this is not the case, clearly my kingdom is not of this world. So right then and there with that statement, even though I am a king, is not of this world. But what? Rome's kingdom is of this world. Caesar's kingdom is of this world. So what did he do? He literally diffused any legal reason that Rome, namely Pilate, would have him put to death by saying his kingdom is not of this world. But nevertheless, what goes on? Therefore, Pilate said to him, when he said, Jesus said, 
He's a king. So, so you, you are a king. You, so Pilate's trying to latch on to that, even though Jesus didn't give Pilate ultimately what he wanted. Jesus says, that is correct. I am a king. And notice that this is good too. And for this reason, I have been born and I have come into this world. And that takes us all the way back to the birth of Jesus. Behold the one who is what? Born king of the Jews. Jesus was born to be king. He was born to be the Messiah, the Messiah to the Jews, the king of the Jews, and ultimately the king of the whole world. He was born for that expressed purpose. And this is what Jesus means when he says what? And to testify to the truth. The truth is what Jesus is saying is, and always as we've been seeing, it's just kind of, okay, I'm slowing it down. What did Jesus say earlier? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Again, notice the uses of the word truth to testify of the truth. What truth? That Jesus is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is the king of the Jews. This is the truth of things. And notice, and so he said, and everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Those who truly want to know the truth, listen to me. They listen to what I have to say. And instead of Pilate, this was the open door that Jesus put in front of Pilate to ask him about the truth. As soon as Jesus put the door before Pilate, he opened it up. Do you want to know the truth? Because everybody who is of the truth listens to me. And here's where Pilate had ample opportunity. Jesus, make your case. Tell me then who you are in all of that. As soon as Jesus opened the door, Pilate shut it right back. Notice Pilate then responded to Jesus, what is the truth? And he was through with that at that point. So Pilate, having the opportunity to know the truth, to hear the truth in the very presence of the truth, that presence of the truth is the presence of Jesus himself, because Jesus declared that he is the truth. At that time that Pilate has to have the truth revealed to him, he closes the door unto truth. All right. Now let's finish it with the rest of verse number 38. And we're going to go all the way down to 40. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a rumble. Okay, so now we go back. After Pilate has questioned Jesus, and remember, he's looking for what? Basically, a charge of sedition against Rome, all right? So he goes back to the Jewish leaders who were trying to bring all of this accusation against Jesus, and he simply says, according to Roman law, he has, done, he has not violated Roman law at all. So therefore I find him not guilty of breaking any Roman law and I cannot lawfully put him to death. And basically that's what he simply says. Jesus is not guilty of breaking any Roman law that he should be put to death. And then Pilate reminds them, he said, but you have a custom that in the, during the Passover, I release a prisoner of your choice, because this was the custom during that time. Then during the Passover, Pilate would ask the Jewish people of the prisoners that I have, which one did you want me to literally just simply release to you as a favor to the Jewish people? And I know I and no doubt to keep them calm. So he says, okay, remember, we got this particular thing that goes on when I give one of the prisoners to you. Do you want me to give you Jesus? your king. And you can kind of see what he's trying to say. Okay. Since I find no fault in Jesus, you can see Pilate working to kind of free Jesus here. Do you want me to deliver him, Jesus, who you, the king or, 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 or what? And they said to Pilate, no, do not deliver Jesus, but give us Barabbas. 
In other words, our minds are made up. We want you to condemn Jesus to death and have him crucified. But if you're going to give us, according to custom, one to set free, okay, fine. Set Barabbas free. And then John says, sets, it, sets forth in a very simple statement. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was a thief, a murderer, guilty of sedition and robbery. They took the worst joker it was and demanded for him, for Pilate to set him free. And they took an innocent man of purity and said, crucify him. And we see the stark contrast in all of this. And also we see the spiritual statement that God is making what? That Jesus, the one who is innocent will suffer and the one who is guilty will be set free. He dies for our sins. And this is the story that's being hashed out spiritually with the sentencing of Jesus and the deliverance of Barabbas. Even, even we can see this and I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. But for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament uh, issue concerning the scapegoat, the scapegoat that will be done on the Day of Atonement. But Jesus, Jesus is the one who should die. And Barabbas is going to be the scapegoat. He's going to be the one to be set free. Ultimately, picturing us, we are the ones who should die. But instead, what? Jesus took our place. Okay, that was a little longer than I had anticipated, as most of the videos are. But thanks for joining me with all of that. All we basically have in chapter 18 is the narration of the arrest of Jesus from the coming of Judas with the band of soldiers in the garden and John's portrayal of Jesus during these events to simply show what? Jesus is in full control. He demonstrated this what? When the soldiers came, Jesus confronted them. When he confronted them, he confronted them with power, knocked them to the ground and says, if you come to get me, me alone don't bother the rest. He protected his disciples. He was in full control. And then we see Jesus being taken to the house of Annas and the accusation. You know, John didn't bring all of that stuff involved, but the accusations in the household of Annas. And then you got the trial in the house of Caiaphas to the which John didn't cover at all. And then he brings him to Pilate. And there, what do they do? They try to bring some kind of accusation of uh, that Jesus is breaking Roman law in order to get Pilate to condemn him to death. But what happens? It doesn't work for Pilate. Pilate questioned Jesus himself. He returned to the leader and said, the man hadn't broken any Roman law. I can't kill the man if he hadn't broken Roman law. He said, but I tell you what, and we can see Pilate doing what? Trying to get Jesus released. There's a time, there's a custom for me to release a person to you on the Passover. Do you want me to release your king or do you want me to release this crooked Barabbas? No doubt in the mind of Pilate, he knew they would say release Jesus because Barabbas was the worst of the worst. And instead, what happened? The will of God was done. They requested for Jesus to be crucified and for Barabbas to be released. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me with all of that. Join me next time as we get into chapter 19 as we see Pilate continuing trying to get Jesus released. I'm not going to talk about it right now, but he does continue to try to get Jesus released, ultimately to no avail, and Jesus will be ultimately condemned to death and crucified. If these videos, guys, have been a blessing to you, and if you can say, Pastor Lee, I've learned a lot. Thank you for all of that. Will you join with me in the ministry? There's always a link in the description that you can use to support the ministry. And for those who have supported the ministry, always and always again, thank you for all that you do. All right, guys, see you next time as we get into John chapter 19.